Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.
right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. And man, oh man, oh, Chavis, we got a jam-packed episode for you tonight. Starting off first, Kevin Wynn from Tyson Dog. We're going to call Kevin in about 10 minutes because uh, the time difference over in the UK. We'll get him on before midnight, his time. And uh, right after that, interview Bobby Blitz from Overkill. I'm going to close out tonight's show with Rick Fox from pretty much everybody out there. Sin, Steel, or Wasp, you name it. Rick has been part of those bands, and we're going to talk to him a little later on. So let me get one more song on here. We're going to keep the chit-chat down to a minimum because we do got a lot of interviews to get to, and I want to give everybody as much airtime as I can in the two hours that we have. So how about I give you some carry-on right now with Antichrist, and I'll get Kevin on the line. Hey, 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 hey. 
All right, carry on with Antichrist. Let's see if I get Kevin on the line here. I always have trouble when I dial out to the UK. Those two extra digits always throw me off. Let's see if I uh, got it right here. Hello. Kevin, this is Mike from Heavy Metal Mayhem. How are you? How are you doing, Mike? Good I'm evening. Good morning. Whatever it is. <laughs> I know it's kind of late for you over there. I try to get you right into the beginning of the show, not to keep you holding on too long. Oh, that's fine, mate. I'm just in my little office rehearsal room here at the minute, just listening to uh, various old stuff and new stuff, and uh, it's time to chill out, mate. So. Uh, good to speak to you. That's good. You know, just think about it. When the band started out like 30-something years ago, you'd probably just be getting up at this time. <laughs> Never went to bed, man. <laughs> Never went to bed. That's right. <laughs> but you know what, Kevin? It's great that you you put the band back together again. How did this all come about? I know it was like two thousand seven, two thousand and eight. Yeah. Um, it uh, it's been on the cards for a while. Me and Alan kept in touch. The uh, the rhythm guitarist and uh, we uh, we used to jam about still, and it was always the thing about trying to get it back going. But the drummer. He was off uh, circumnavigating the world. He was um, actually on the QE2, the Queen Elizabeth, uh, the cruise ship. So he was going around the world uh, playing drums in the uh, sort of house band. And uh, Paul, the lead guitarist, he went off to uh, join the Marines. And we didn't know which part of the world he was in. Or, to tell you the truth, because I think he'd done a, a few tours of... of Iraq and Afghanistan, so we didn't even know if he was alive to tell you the truth. Yeah. So you know, it was it it eventually came together, and uh, we found out Rob had give up doing the cruise ship thing, and it was back up in Newcastle. I mean, I lived two hundred miles, but I lived down in Manchester. Okay. So so it was a case of just getting us all back together, and we managed to persuade the lead guitarist uh, of a band called Satan. Uh, Russ Tippins, yeah, to, to step in on lead guitar. Alan um, carried out the vocals. Clutch, in the meantime, the lead vocalist, we knew definitely quit the music business, um, and he had no interest in, in coming back. In fact, it took us a good four or five years to, to drag him back into the band. Wow. Um, and uh, so eventually we... Uh, We've we've managed to to get where we are now with the the sort of more or less original lineup. Uh, bear in mind the uh, the drum and beware the dog with a guy called uh, Jed Cook, Jed Wolf Cook, who then went on to drum with a band called Adam Craft. Yeah. And currently is now our record company boss. Why do you like that? <laughs> so it's it's good that we never actually fell out with him because he now sort of. Uh, has the power to to sort of uh, put the album out and not put the album out when we we get round to recording it. That is. But, uh, yeah, that's great. Uh, uh, back in the day, I mean, when you, you go back to the early days, you came along during that that new wave of British heavy metal wave. It was the early yeah. '80s. How was the scene like? Because like over here, that was like a big thing to us in America. Hearing all those bands coming out oh, of that scene, was it the same feeling back then? Did you see like this new thing? You know. Coming about, oh, mate, you've, you've you've absolutely no idea. I mean, we were just we were we were rubbing shoulders. We were there was a place it's still there in Newcastle called Trillions, a rock bar, and we basically we had uh, 
the likes of John Sykes, who went out to megastardom with Thin Lizzy and White Snake, with John Sykes, who's in the Tigers of Pantown, used to hang, yeah. about with, with, hang about with those lads. You had Yannick Gers, who was uh, with White Spirit at the time. He's he's went on to megastardom as well. And uh, we were Venom, we're in the, the, local, the bars, and it was just lots and lots of musicians uh, just all hanging around and getting on together. And uh, it, it was absolutely phenomenal. It was a great feeling. Um, but it was mainly in Europe. Europe seemed to be the big place. We were back yeah. and forth at the places like Belgium, Germany and Holland. Um, whereas in, in this country, with the exception of London, it didn't really take off um, anywhere. And, and Scotland, Glasgow was a big, uh, a big place for us to play. Um, but in, in my hometown, it, it was we had all these bands, but we know very little places to play. Yeah, and that must have been a shame because you know you guys had such an amazing sound. You gave us those first couple of records. You know the late '80s come around, and you guys kind of like just disappeared. You know back then there was no internet, so there was no way of looking up to find out what happened to a band. It was years before we knew that. You know the band just stopped playing altogether. What happened back in the day? We just. We sort of fizzled out. I, I started playing with a, an incarnation of the Tigers of Pantang, a band that Jess Cox, the original lead vocalist of the Tigers, had put together called Tiger Tiger. A lot of glam stuff was starting to take off then. And, yeah. and if you look at the likes of Crimes of Insanity, and we sort of got a bit carried away with it. And, you know, a lot of, lot of sort of British bands started to sort of mimic American acts, really. I'm not saying sound-wise we did, but looking back on it, you know, we probably went down the, the road of image-wise, and that was us taking advice off management, etc. and this is the way to go and that, you know. Um, and a lot of the... American orientated rock started to creep in, uh, especially with Tiger Tiger and uh, Tyson Dog. Just we never really fell out or anything like that we just drifted apart and then just got on with our lives. And I mean, the, the killer killer thing was Meat Records. We had a, a bit of a bust up with them, and um, they I tell you what, they, they wouldn't put us on. They wouldn't pay for us to fly out to Holland or yeah. even go out to Holland to play a pretty big festival, which was the Dynamo Rock Festival, which eventually uh, played host to some really big bands. I think Slayer, Anthrax, I think maybe even Metallica might have played it. But it was one of the early Dynamo Rock shows in Eindhoven, and the record company wouldn't pay for us to go out, so we had a bus stop, so they pulled the plug on the third album, which we, we actually had about half a dozen songs written for it. So um, it just fizzled out, really, Mike, and that was uh, that was pretty sad. That you know, to leave it like that. Yeah, it was because we were getting such great music, and you know, back then it wasn't so easy to get the music like it is today, where you go on online and it's right there. You know, you had to go to your record store, get the imports, which were really oh, expensive yeah. back in the day. And the albums came out on Neat, and Neat was like kind of from the same area that you guys were from. Uh, is that how you kind of hooked up with them from being from the same hometown? It was. It was. It was fairly annoying though, because we kept getting overlooked, and there was a lot of bands that were coming in from different areas, and they were getting signed up. Uh, I mean, I heard a great story the other day. The guy who owned Neat Records, a gentleman called David Wood. I mean, bear in mind he made a lot of money out of the record business in in those days. Uh, but he had some great bands on, obviously Venom, 
and Tigers of Pantan, Raven, all made him a lot, a lot of money and went on to uh, major label success. Um, but he actually turned down Metallica, would you believe? Wow, I bet he's kicking himself in the ass now. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So, but he was get he was getting absolutely thousands and thousands of tapes in every day, and we were literally on the doorstep when we just couldn't get signed, and we couldn't even get the 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 A and R guy to come and see us, and eventually we we sort of literally just cornered him. Um, and just give this guy the tape in his hand and said, listen to this, please listen to it. And fortunately, we, we managed to get a, a two-album, two I think it was three-single deal off him. Um, but we did have other other offers, but it was just a case of Neat was really the, the place to be at that time. Yeah, they were, they were a, a pretty prominent label, especially for a lot of the underground bands coming up through the scene. Uh, back in the day, so that was a good thing being on them. And I know you said earlier now with Jed Wolf, your old drum. I know he went to Adam Kraft and his, uh, I think his brother managed you guys back in, in, he did, Jed, in, yeah. in the early days. Well, yeah, well, Eric, I mean, Eric and Jed are still very much involved in the music business. As I say, they've got uh, um, Demolition Records, Blast Records, who uh, they just put out the New York Dolls album. Um, He's, Eric was actually managing Andy Taylor, the excellent guitarist of Duran Duran. Um, Jed is doing a bit of road manager stuff with a very, very good up-and-coming band uh, called uh, Cobra and the Lotus. And um, I'm at, I think they're on tour with Guns N' Roses and St. Lizzie at the moment. Wow. So it, it, it's pretty good at the moment, you know. And, yeah, the, Eric was uh, Venom's manager as well. And uh, he was actually supposed to, well, supposed to. I think he did get us on on a, a tour for the states, uh, which uh, I think it was Venom and Metallica were on. Set to go out on the road, and unfortunately we had visa problems. Some of us couldn't get visas for whatever reason, and uh, in the end we we had to knock it on the knock it on the head. So that yeah, was just a bit of bad luck, you know. I think uh, if your name's on it, it's uh, it's on it, you know. I know, you know. I think that's the story of so many bands too, because you know, you, Tyson Dog had the music, had the talent, had everything going for them, and just you know, another band comes along. They just happen to be in the right spot at the right time in the music business, and that's such an important place to be. And I, I've heard so many tales of great bands who just like fell to the wayside because of problems with management, record labels. The people that you think are there to help you and, and make things happen sometimes are your worst enemy, <laughs> and they cause more problems yeah. for the band. Then they actually do good in the end. Yeah, that's right. I mean, now we're we're getting together with a lot of other bands. I mean, we've just come back from Barcelona playing with Raven and Praying Mantis, and these are bands again that I mean, Praying Mantis. I, I think Iron Maiden used to support them, and then they used to support Iron Maiden, Raven. Same thing with Metallica, and these guys are just honest, down to earth lads. So a lot of them still got day jobs and that. And they really, they were literally within touching distance of it. Um, I, I read one review which sort of likened us to, to maybe um, in sort of football or soccer terms, as you call it, uh, a, a second division team opposed to a Premier League team. And I think that's that's pretty much true if you look at the Premier League as being the Iron Maidens and the Judas Priests and the Saxons of this world. Um, and I'm, I'm quite happy with that label. You know, we uh, thinking 
one review, I think Malcolm Dome, uh, who writes for the Koran in Classic Rock, put it, you know, we came, we saw, and we, we didn't quite conquer, but we had a bloody <laughs> we had a bloody good time having a go at it, you know, and uh, and it's good now that we're back together and, you know, we, we're still playing these songs and people still want to see us and, you know, we've been to so many great countries in the, the short period of time we've been together, you know, Germany, uh, Spain, uh, Greece. And uh, in a few weeks' time, we're going out to Italy and then we're over to Belgium. So it's 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 pretty good and really really enjoyable. The the sad thing about this, the place we sold the most records uh, was Brazil, uh, where we were on Banzai, which was part of Polydor Records. And unfortunately, Banzai did go bust, and I don't think we've seen a penny of it. Um, or if needed, they didn't pass it on to us, but uh, allegedly. Yeah. Um, but uh, we kind of get over to Brazil. We, we get loads of requests to get over to Brazil, but we, we're still waiting for someone to put their hand in their pocket and pay for the airfares to get us over there. But uh, that would be really good because we get a lot, a lot of requests of people from Brazil. Yeah, uh, South America and Japan are still big strongholds for, for the classic 80s metal. I mean, they, they still live it there. They love it. Uh, and it's really big down there. And, you know, even over here in America, it's making a comeback, but it's still hard to get people, like, to come out to shows these days because I have bands playing on a Monday or a Wednesday when everybody's going to get up for work the next day. And, and it makes yeah. it kind of hard. But it's great that you're able to hit the circuit and all the festivals because you ask any 80s underground metal fan from back in the day, they'll tell you exactly who Tyson Dog is and, and what you're all about. And you've left that kind of mark on people just from the few hours that you put out. So you've got to be proud of that in the end. That's great to hear it, yeah. I mean, bands can put out like 10, 15 albums and and a lot of them have been rushed at it. I mean, even this, I've, I've just, before you've called it, I've literally just been running through some of the new material and it's, some of it is that good. I just, it, it's going to be really hard to pick sort of 12, whatever tracks to go down on the on the next album. We've You know, we've got all this... It's mainly Paul Burdis, who's the lead guitarist, and uh, Alan Hunter, the, the rhythm guitarist, who's been coming up with these songs and that, but uh, some of them are fantastic. So um, we just need to put some time aside, and I think certainly over the next three months, we really need to just knuckle down and get something out there, but it'll be uh, it'll be worth, worth the wait. Well, not a doubt. I mean, you have the Hammerhead EP out, so people get a little taste of, you know, some older new uh, Tyson Dog, what you sound like today. Uh, so they, that's out there for people. They can buy it anywhere. It is, yeah. But it's on everywhere. It's um, it's uh, on uh, Amazon. It's on iTunes. Um, I even put a put the uh, the music station got a music station on the PS3, um, and it's on there. So, which is quite good. So people can can actually listen to it to sign up to uh, to the station on the PS3. Nice. And um, yeah, it's 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 there. It's, it's it's not really available. We'd be taking a um, a lot to the gigs, the actual um, CDs themselves. Um, but there's there's not really CDs aren't really selling these days. It, it seems to be all download. Yeah. But some fans do still like that, Peter piece of plastic in the hand it's uh, not quite definitely. as good as the vinyl, the vinyl even you know, I know. we haven't <laughs> we definitely haven't went that far down the, down the road and that's I it. know uh, 
A lot of bands are actually doing vinyl again today because people are buying them. Uh, the old-time collectors are buying the vinyl today, so they're finding kind of a new outlet with an old product. I know. I know this angel which just brought. I was um, I was in contact with uh, Will Palmer, the bassist for them, the other day. I understand that they've brought their new album out on uh, on vinyl as well. So uh, yeah, it's another band who were who were sort of just about made his angel which and. And they they're doing really really well at the moment, Matt. You know, so uh, it's good that all these bands are coming back. I don't know how much uh, how much longer it'll last. I hope it lasts for a, another good few years. But it's great to be being out there and, and meeting these guys and bumping into these these players. I mean, like the guys out of um, uh, like John McCoy, who was in Gillen and Bernie Tormey. Yeah, it's Bernie. Yeah, I mean, it's the lead guitarist in Ozzy Osbourne's band, and we're we're playing this festival in Ibiza, and they're staying in the same hotel, on the same bill. In fact, that they were on just before we went on. There's uh, the lads at a band called GMT, yeah. which is uh, Robin Guy, who I think was in Faith No More, yeah, Tom McCoy, right. Albert Gillen, Bernie Tomey, yeah. Ozzy Osbourne, and Gillen, and we're just having a like, sitting down, having a beer with these guys. And it's great because we're now getting a chance to meet meet the, the lads who are our heroes 25, 25 years ago. So it's it, amazing. It's good still to be doing it. It's still good to be doing it, and it's great that there is still some really good, honest guys out there. They really are. They really, you know, Bernie's a good friend of mine in the show. As we talk to Bernie all the time, and what an amazing guitar player. And it's so great to see him, like you know, still active too. You know, the GMT stuff is phenomenal, man. And and I'm I'm looking so forward to new Tyson dog. The only thing is keep Kronos away from producing it because I remember back in the 80s he badmouthed you guys in Metal Forces magazine, and I lost all respect for Kronos and Venom after that. I never never cared for Venom after that again. Yeah, the thing is with Kronos, he's uh, a lot of that was hype. I mean, as you, as you can tell, because yeah. you know we had all this Venom, and the tell it is, I think a lot of it was was a bit put up. It was to to get in, to get the old press talk. And sure. So, but but we were meeting each other in pubs and having a laugh and having a pint and and even Tony the drummer who was still very good friends with, um, he took the photographs on the back of Crimes of Insanity. So it yeah. wasn't all. Uh, um, I think a lot of it was down to Jed because um, when Jed left the band. He was very, very good friends with Kronos, and uh, I think they felt as though we just used them um, to help us get a record deal. Where we'd already had the record deal, we got the record deal before Jed had joined the band. But it just it was one of them things that just didn't work out. He was he was so much younger than us. I think he was probably four or five years younger than us. Yeah. So he really was only a kid. And we just weren't really on the same length. Having said that, now we get on like a house on fire. As I say, the guy owns a record company and uh, tours with bands, managers bands, road managers bands. And so, as I say, it it wasn't all bad because otherwise you you wouldn't have had anything to do with us now. But uh, yeah, I I remember that Bernard Bernard do I think uh, <laughs> used to do metal force. Yeah, I've been I've been in touch with Bernard sort of via, as you say, the great the great thing about the internet and uh, and everything uh, and Twitter and Facebook. 
is you can keep in touch with these guys from years ago and uh, it, it's you know it, it is superb but I think a lot of it was tongue in cheek at the time. I, I figure that just like I said, just to drum up publicity. Anything to get your name out there. There's no bad publicity, I guess, when people know who you are and they hear your name, and that's just yeah. that's just the way it goes. You know, Kevin, I'm gonna have to cut you in a few minutes because I think the the phone bill is up to about four hundred dollars right now, so we're gonna have to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. I but, no, I it's, gotta be, it's gotta be great today because like all the pressure must be off of like trying to to make it into that scene and get your name out there. It's probably just all fun now, you know. You've Get everything set ahead of you. You get to play when you want to play, record when you want to record. Yeah. It has to be a much better time. Yeah, exactly. When I say to people now, it's better than playing golf. It's a fantastic hobby to play in front of like a few thousand people, is what we're probably going to do in Italy in a few weeks' time. And it is, it's just, it is a hobby. And, it, and people like the stuff and they want to buy it. That's fantastic. That's really, it's really good that people still want to hear to the likes of Tyson Dog and to New Wave of British Heavy Metal because there are some great bands out there. They really are, and uh, Kevin, you guys are one of them. Uh, I just want to thank you for taking the time out and staying up a little later tonight to talk to me. I'm going to get on some of your music right now. And Kevin, we'll have to do really this another time. I'll, I'll put on an earlier show that way. We can talk a lot longer and have more time with each other. Oh, uh, That's great. I've got uh, a couple of uh, a couple of T-shirts and some CDs ringing the way to you now. So they only went off on Friday. So I don't know what the uh, the postal service is like between the UK and the States, but uh, they'll be winging their way to you, mate. That uh, sounds great, man. If the postal service out there is like over here, it'll be here probably like November. So <laughs> <laughs> I do apologize. <laughs> All right, Kevin. Thank you very much, I appreciate it. The best of luck. Oh, everything. It's been, been fantastic speaking to you, mate. Take care. All it's the best care. now. Thank you very Bye-bye much. Bye bye now. Care. Take care. Bye. All right, let's get some Tyson dog on.
Now, what? It would help if I had the microphone on. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I was just talking to Tommy. My partner in crime is on the cell phone after his long journey back from Virginia. Tommy, what's going on, buddy? Hey, calling from Delaware. Delaware, there you go. Coming up north. Coming up north. Nothing good happens in Delaware. Uh, I guess 200 and something years ago it did. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you called in to check in. And I know you had a, a great weekend over in Virginia. Our good friend Alice was <laughs> well, she's married now. I was going to say get married, but she's already a, a married yeah. woman. She's taken, so she's off the market. All the best Alice. Uh, future together. And uh, everybody's uh, praying for everybody all around the world. The rock and roll and metal world. And our own little families with same friends. Uh, that sounds like Rock a plan to me, buddy. Friends. That's right. All That's right. You can, all you Satanists, you can pray to Satan as long as the outcome is good. <laughs> That's right. We'll take, it whatever, doesn't matter. we'll take whatever blessings we can get. <laughs> we sure can. We need them all sometimes. Yeah, for all kinds. All right, all I hear that. But you know what? I got I got one or two songs I got to get on quick because uh, we got Bobby Blitz from Overkill in five minutes, so. And then we got Rick Fox from Steel, a Sin Wasp, in about 40 minutes. So you want to hang on the line? You hang on the line, buddy. I hang on the line. If, if I get disconnected, I'll try to connect her. And one more time, if not, then I'll catch you when I, if I get home in time. I understand that, boy. That's dedication. I'm not really boy. That Calling way, it yeah. on the road to his show. Unbelievable. That's dedication. All right, well, let's do our metal matinee bootleg artist of the week. This week is a day called Kill the Core. And I got this from... Strad, the master demo downloader, and today's Strad's birthday, so we want to wish him a very happy birthday. And uh, head over to the Heaven on Mayhem blog spot, download yourself a copy of the demo. It's up there right now. Here you go, kill the core. Too late.
All right, that ended pretty abruptly. All right, kill the court, too late. All right, we got Bobby in about five minutes. Uh, I got to get on a song. I got an email that day from my old friend Andre Lamorth from Brooklyn. Uh, his nephew, uh, my friend Mike's son, is playing in a band, David Lamorth. And they're called Two Sides to Die. They sent me off a whole bunch of songs to play. And, you know, it's not the typical 80s music we played. They were a young band playing the new modern metal out there. But I think these guys got a big future. They just need some backing and some money to get them going like a lot of young bands do. So if any of my friends are listening out there and they work with and promote these young new metal bands, check these guys out on Facebook. Here's a song called Crutch of the Weak-Willed Man. And right after that, we'll go into an interview with Bobby Blitz from Overkill.
Hey, it's Bobby Blitz. Hey, Bobby, this is Mike from Heavy Metal Mayhem calling you back. How you doing? Hey, dude, how are you? I'm all right, man. I felt bad before, you know? <laughs> oh, no, don't sweat it. It's just it's the way the road works sometimes. I, I hear that. You know, you know, so years ago, you were just going to bed at that time, probably. Pardon me? 30 years ago, you would just be going to bed at that time. Yeah, fuck, man. It's just the way it is. So. <laughs> I, yeah, hey, yeah, no but... big deal. We got, I got a little time. Let's do it. All right, man. Well, it's great to talk to you today, Bobby. You know, I, I go back with you guys way back. I remember when you guys played Octobers in Staten Island and you were asking for donations to replace your fog machine that got stolen. <laughs> so it, it, it's been a long ride, man. It's been uh, – it's funny. Things have changed since then. I think we can afford one now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things are much and, better. And I'm now. sure you donated. <laughs> I, I did. I was all in the back. <laughs> I donated, man. That was a great show too. <laughs> yeah, I like, like all the Overkill shows, man. It's incredible when you look at like you know thirty something years, and it's hard to say the band made a comeback because you never went anywhere. But it just seems like the last five, six, seven years, the, the group has been revitalized. Maybe you know the, the, the younger crowd is coming across you guys. I don't know what it is, but the last couple of albums you've been on fire. Well, you know, I, I think one of the things is, is that obviously, uh, you know, it's good out here right now. Uh, the scene itself is pretty healthy. Um, the band has got a decent chemistry with regard to the lineup. Uh, it's a gelled lineup. Uh, five, six, seven, seven years ago, Ron Lipnicki joined the band and kind of brought this new high-end energy to us. And I think that that's probably the reason. You put all that together, a healthy scene, a drummer with high-end energy and a good chemistry, Hey, why not exploit it? And that's really what we're doing. We're trying to we're trying to run with the ball while the game is still on. And I think that it's you know it's kind of working for us because it's uh, it's youthful, it's current, it's relevant in the day, and that's what we want to be. That's so true, man. I mean, the Electric Age is, is a solid record as any you've ever put out. I mean, you look back at all the albums over all the years, and it just seems like you've persevered through everything. I mean, you started, everybody kind of started out as a heavy metal band back in the late 70s and 80s, and so many different genres came in. We got kind of knocked to the side with hair metal, then grunge, then new metal, then rap rock. You guys just keep – is it perseverance? It's just a, you know, the fuck you. This is who you are. We're going to keep doing it. Well, you know, it's a little bulk, and obviously we we love what we do. I mean, this was uh, the attraction to attractive nature of this whole thing was it, it is based on what we found way back in the 80s. But I think that, you know, the, the, there's another side to this, and that other side is possible that this is what we do best or maybe all we know how to do. So, I mean, hey, it, whichever way it is, it just kind of works. I, you know, as soon as I start overthinking things, I start screwing it up. So I'm, yeah. I'm not going to try to overthink that end of it because it's working at this point. Yeah, that's so true, man. And I mean, do you think if Overkill started today as a as a new band, a young band, with the environment that you know the music business is in right now, do you think you would still be here, you know, in two thousand and thirty? I don't. You know, I, I again, I don't put my head into things. But if I had to guess, I would say no. This is, you know, this is a different world. You know, when when I asked you for a donation for a stolen fog machine, there was no internet. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we're, we're we're talking about uh, a, a huge difference with regard to promotion. Uh, with regard to younger bands not being able to be signed based on the fact that it is a crowded scene. But that crowd, crowded scene makes it healthy. But that means there's more people into it. And the industry itself has changed. I mean, just the fact that, you know, the internet came in and the downloads started happening, we all know this is old news. But, but the reality is, is that hurts a lot of bands from signing. So if I had to guess, I would say probably, probably we wouldn't be signed if, uh, if we were a brand new band. 
Yeah, you know, you think, like you said, because of the internet, it's so much easier to reach an audience or to, to get your, you put one song up the internet, you know, millions of people can uh, you know, come across it in minutes if they want, compared to the old days where you were sending out cassette tapes in the mail and there was no magazines, there was nothing, nowhere to put a video up or anything like that. But yet it, it seems, with, as easy as it is today, it still seems harder, like you said, for bands because of the amount of groups that are out there today. Well, you know, I, I think it's a double-edged sword. I mean, the Internet is great with regard to promotion, but then, again, it, uh, let's say it um, uh, depletes that of the revenue resource that bands can use to record. I mean, you know, when, when I met you in Staten Island, for instance, years ago, I mean, I, I must have raised thousands of windshield wipers in Staten Island alone just putting, uh, uh, you know, flyers underneath them or putting them on, putting them on telephone poles. And this was our end of promotion. And the other part of it that was different was that you had to shake hands. It wasn't social networking. There was you had to walk up and see people. So it was a whole different world. And I don't know if I could adapt to the, the brand new world because I knew it the other way. So, hey, I'll adapt to the technology on a personal level or when it comes to recording. But when it comes to promotion with regard to soap promotion, not that that the record company does or networking, I'm just, I'm too old school to, to do that stuff. I don't Twitter twat. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know how you feel with that. But, you know, that's one thing about Overkill, at least as far as myself and the rest of the fans go, is that, you know, I'm a fan of Metallica. I'm a fan of Slayer. But when you're fans of Overkill, it's like a family. Everybody seems to know each other, remembers things from back in the day. And everybody feels like they they know you guys, even though they don't. And that's, you know, the vibe you always gave off. Well, you know, I, I think that we've always kind of thought of this to some degree as a community. Um, and, and we obviously, you know, Metallica were, I think, the same kind of guys. They were part of this community, but they got so big. And, you know, we're we're in a position where we can walk around the parking lot and shake hands after the show. We're in a position where we can sit on the, you know, the front of somebody's Ford and, and, and talk about the new Exodus record. Uh, where I think other bands are just not in that position. And, and this is what we know, and that's why I think it works for us, that, that kind of handshaking, ends of social networking, that it's, you know, we're all kind of part of the same thing, including that of people. Uh, we're not playing in the band. The people who just love the music. Yeah, I know what you mean. And one thing with Overkill is that you've managed, like, you know, across all kinds of genres. I mean, you can go out there, like, now with God forbid, or you can go out there with old school bands like Exodus, and the audience and the fans, just, they've adapted to, like, you know, to all these different bands they mix together. And that's one of the things that Overkill has always brought out, is that you can play with the old and the new and still fit in with everyone. Well, you know, one of the things that I'm always most proud of with regard to what we do is being relevant today. And I think that that's where that comes across. You know, sure, we have a past, we have a history, and, and, and you were part of it, and so were other people. But it's, it's never about what we were. It's always about what we are. And I think that that's what's really important, and I think that that makes it, uh, translate across the board, whether you know whether we're doing a show with Motorhead or whether we're doing a, a festival with Iron Maiden or whether we're playing with um, Municipal Waste or, or Havoc or Evil. And I think that that's the way it kind of works for us, is that it's relevant today, more about what we are as opposed to what we were. Yeah, I, well, I know how you feel, because like I'm saying, you know, 30 years of being with you guys and all the different albums, I followed you, you know, through everything, you know, ups and downs, through the changes, through the music. And I don't like to say, you know, give me more of the old stuff, give me less of the stuff in the middle, give me more of, you know, the newer stuff. I want to hear it all. I want to hear as much as you can get in, you know, during your show. Do you find it hard trying to balance all the different errors of Overkill? Well, I mean, I mean for sure. I mean, if you're talking 16 records, usually a set itself is about 16 or 18 songs, so you'd have to just do one or so from each one. And I think, 
you know, going back to the last answer and being relevant in the day, you have to concentrate on the new records because the new records is, are where we're expanding. One of the things that's happening right now is that there's a younger influx of people coming in. And sure, they may go back and hear Years of Decay or Horoscope or something like so. But what they're really hearing is the Electric Age. That's what's kind of turning them onto the band. And the band, obviously, would rather play the new stuff. I mean, I've done, you know, Rotten to the Core or Feel the Fire 4,000 times. I've done Electric Rattlesnake 22 times. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's a hell of a lot more fun for us to play the new stuff. And I think also very pleasing for people who uh, are just being turned on to the band. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll hear you guys do Feel the Fire once a year when I see you live. But you guys are playing it you know, like 900 <laughs> times a year. So I, I, you got to get bored of it. you got to get tired of it. And you want to experiment with the, all the newer stuff also. And But I always thought you did a great job of mixing and enough of everything to keep everybody happy, old and new. And I know it's a challenge. Sure, it's got to be classics. Right, it's got to be classics. You're 100% yeah. correct. But uh, one day before you throw in a towel, you say, hey, this is it, we're retiring. you got to do Unleash the Beast Within. you, know, you got to get it on recording somewhere. i got to go oh, on just once. No, I'll have to get you a copy because we did, it in, uh, we did it at a festival last year. And because it was such an unusual circumstance, they recorded it and released it with uh, a magazine called Rock Hard in, out of Germany. Oh, okay. So it's, uh, yeah, The Beast Within and Death Rider are on. Oh, cool. That's that's wild. Yeah. That's some great shit, man. Uh, like I said, I, I love it all, Bobby, so I, I can't pick and choose either. Do you find it hard, getting harder and harder to write music and, and to keep moving along? Like, you know, you don't want to repeat yourself? Because, like I said, 16 albums, a lot of songs over the years. Well, I, I think that's a great question because... Uh, Repetition is a no-no, and, uh, you know, in my experience, I try to, you know, I'm motivated really to compete with myself, with my ends of the songs, by not uh, going through repetition. Uh, is it hard? Of course it is. Uh, does it happen? Maybe. But I always say, hey, there's a fine line between repetition and style, so. That's true. But is there a time within the 30 years the band's been going that you guys just say, you know what, we got to throw in a towel? I mean... Especially like in the '90s, when the whole—it just seems like everybody abandoned the whole scene in the '90s. But you guys kept forging ahead, and you know you kind of took on that adapt-to-die attitude. But was there ever a time where you just said, you know, it's not going to work anymore? Uh, I don't think so. No, you know, I mean, there were obviously the lean times, but it was something that, you know, Didi and I uh, self-managed the band from '94 on, and that was became, excuse me, in my opinion, the reason that it, it continued to go. We weren't really listening to anyone from our, but ourselves at that point. So the, the idea was that we now had another stake in it. We weren't managed uh, by our former managers. We're taking on the, you know, the stake or the, the challenge of getting ourselves a record deal. And it seemed to happen in 94, and then it happened again in 97, and then it happened again. So there was never, there was never the thought of not doing it. It was the thought more so of, like you said, forging ahead. It's really about positive movement. And, and there were still people out there who loved the stuff. So this wasn't the hardest thing to do at that time. It just was not as easy as it was in, let's say, 1988, Yeah, you know, a lot of people seem to think heavy metal died at the strike of midnight of 1989 for some reason. And, you know, it was a couple more years <laughs> for, you know, the scenes like, yeah, you know, it turned on its head. And I don't know where everybody went. I mean, I guess, you know, we're a society of trends and people just, they go with whatever's popular at the time or whatever other people tell them. You know, is is the new thing, but I've never abandoned you know any of the bands, and I've always found new ones as I went along. Uh, do, do you find a lot younger crowd showing up today than you know you did years ago? 
it's a mix, you know. I mean, you get uh, you know 16, 17, 18 year olds at all age shows, and you get some of the old old school guys, you know, with gray hair and the, they're wearing the field fire shirt, it's not even black anymore. So I yeah. think that's the cool thing about this is that it, you know the value of the music's actually transcended generations. And, you know, this is an underground thing, and there's always value in the underground. You're less disposable. Uh, you're not part of the mainstream, you know, where people are throwing out their droid to get an iPhone, to do this, to do that. But what's new? It's more about what is, and the, and what is is the underground for, for value for many of the younger people that come in. Yeah, I think it's great that a lot of younger kids today are getting so into the music. I know most of it comes from the video games because they're all playing those rock star and rock band games, and there's a lot of metal on there, so they're kind of picking up on it. Because I know myself as a kid, I probably would have been never been caught a lot listening to my father or my mother's music when I was a kid. But the kids today, they just they've latched onto our music and they're taking it to the next level, which is a fantastic thing. Yeah, man. I mean, I've, I've seen, you know, I, I I remember in a festival, I, I talked to uh, I was talking to a mother and father at a festival in Germany. Uh, last summer, and and their daughter came up to me and said, you know, you're my, uh, I'm you're my favorite singer, and I I said, geez, how old are you? And she said, I'm nine. I'm like, oh my god. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's young, but yeah. uh, again, if there's, if there's value there and it's kind of passed on, it actually becomes something to some degree that's priceless to, uh, to different generations. That's true. I, I know you're out on the road right now. I'm going to be seeing you in New York uh, next week when you get here. Actually, this week coming up. I'm looking forward to it. Does a grind ever get to you being on the road still after all these years, or has it just become like the next second nature? Well, I mean, we can we can say the interview. I mean, you called me at one o'clock, and I was like, "Dude, I'm not up." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily get to me. I still enjoy the shows. Um, uh, I think that probably what the difference is that I could I used to be able to stay up until noon the next day, sleep for an hour, and go into a sound check at two. You know, yeah. <laughs> so new, but now I got to get the straight eight hours of sleep. Yeah, I, I, I can hear that. I, I, it hurts after you get older. I know. Uh, Bob, I know overkill is the main thing. It's your main focus. Any plans ever doing anything on the outside again, like the cars? Do you ever plan on doing something different? Um, I, you know, I never plan on it. I, mean, I think one of the, the reasons that overkill works is that it's really a, you know, sure we we, we plan the tours and we plan to record, but I really, on a personal level, I look at it from a day to day perspective. And I think that that's why it works, because that's when opportunities arise or in the day. Um, am I going to do another curse? I don't know. It was a hell of a lot of fun to do. It was like being in a garage band again. Uh, but I'm not planning on anything right now. All right. And I know, you know, you and Dee, you've been in this thing since the beginning. You've kept it going all these years. You probably know each other, like, you know, where you don't even have to say nothing. You kind of just, like, know what has to be done and how to get it done over the years. Is that the case between the two of you? Uh, pretty much. I mean, we're, again, we're still, uh, we're still, you know, managing the band, so that, I mean, that's it's really important that we, you know, meet on a regular basis and discuss what what's going to happen or what's going on. Um, but I think that you know, one of the things that that really works for us again is that we're, uh, or like you said, is that we we just kind of know uh, the right thing to do. That one covers the other. Uh, that one brings up a different idea than the other, and we look forward to that kind of uh, you know, or that kind of a relationship is what where our success lies with regard to the management. Yeah, and you've got such a solid, like I said before, you've got such a solid lineup. It just seems to be so cohesive today with Dave and Derek and Ron all together. Hopefully the lineup, you know, stays and it works. It's been going for a long time now. And, you know, I, I'm not going to keep you bothered because I know you're busy. I just want to wish you guys the best of luck. The Electric Age, once again, you guys took it over the top. And I'm waiting for the next one, even though this one just came out. 
I'll do this. Uh, let's take it a day at a time, but I'm I'm happy with it too. It's a record. It's a record with a hell of a lot of teeth and uh, a hell of a lot of punch. So uh, I'm happy for it. Yeah. It definitely is, man. Hey, Bobby, thank you very much, man. You go back to sleep. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> We're coming up the coast, man. I'll be I'll be rested by then. <laughs> you got it. I'll see you when you get to New York. All right, my friend. All right, take care, Bobby. Thank you. Bye bye now.
All right, that's brand new Overkill from the Electric Age. Drop the hammer down. Boy, I tell you, Overkill keep getting better and better like a fine wine. The last three records have just blown away anything they've done before. I mean, absolutely amazing. All right, well, you know what? Rick Fox is up in about 10 minutes. Mr. Ken Pierce from PiercingMetal.com has patiently been waiting in the wings. We have a really busy show tonight. He's going to give us our weekly concert calendar update. Uh, maybe when Ken wraps up tonight, we'll go right to a song by our guest, Rick. Maybe we'll do Watch. He's sitting over their version of School Days. So maybe we'll do that, and then I'll get Rick on the line. Or if we have enough time before I, I do have to call him, I'll get maybe one more song or maybe a Sin song. Or we'll just hold that to during the interview afterwards. But right now, Mr. Ken Pierce from PiercingMetal.com with our weekly concept calendar update. Hey, what's going on there, listeners out in heavy metal mayhem land? And thank you once again, Mike, for having me as a part of this wonderful program of yours. And man, I'm telling you, what an exciting, exciting week we just had. And we're rolling into it again with uh, with the power of the New York Rangers behind us. Wow. And it's it's been an interesting week of development. And I'm, I, I apologize if you mentioned this and I might have missed them again, uh, but... But people should know that the Van Halen tour has been canceled. After after some of these June dates, uh, the band is, is canceling the rest of the dates. There's about 30 dates they're canceling, and they said uh, they're saying that they need some rest. So uh, okay with that. And uh, also the big development is that Black Sabbath will tour uh, without Bill Ward in any shape, fashion, or form. And they've actually gone one step further um, and removed his images from the website. Talk about fucked up. Anyway, so let's get right down to the nitty-gritty for the week at hand. Uh, Today on Sunday, the 20th, uh, the bamboozle had closed up over at the Asbury Park. This is the third of three days, and that was an exciting uh, little bit of fun. Still going on for the final band, but I, I, it's probably too late to head over there uh, uh, right now at this park because it is in Asbury Park. Uh, also finishing off in about an hour or so is the tattoo convention over at Roseland Ballroom. Um, kind of a, if you snoozed, you lose because it's been it started on Friday for both of these events. Uh, rolling into Monday, the week begins with the used over at Irving Plaza. I haven't heard their name in a, quite a while. And also, Jack White will perform for the first of two nights at Roseland Ballroom. You might know Jack White's name from the White Stripes and the Racon Tours, and now he is uh, doing some solo stuff for two nights over at Roseland Ballroom. Chicken Foot is appearing over at Beacon Theater, and everybody loves the Chicken Foot, which is the supergroup of Sammy Hagar, Joe Satriani, Michael Anthony, and Kenny Aronoff sitting in for Chad Evans, who is busy with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Tuesday night, cool night going on over at Irving Plaza as the one and only Slash celebrates the release of his new CD with this special show in New York City. That CD is also being released today, and it is called Apocalyptic Love, okay? And the album will feature Miles Kennedy from Alter Bridge as the lead singer on the record. Good stuff. As I said, Jack White's playing the Roseland Ballroom also tonight, second of two nights. Wednesday, Hump Day starts off with some really heavy shit. You got Yob over at the Bell House, and they are performing as a part of the Blackened Music Series. 
that's a group of people that put together some really, really heavy stuff. And uh, Yab will be over at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York. Great venue if you've never been there yet. Uptown in Manhattan, the mighty Meshuga is back. And they are doing a set of material from their Coloss album along with a bunch of other stuff. And they will have both Decapitated and Baroness opening up the show. Really, really good night over at Terminal 5 if you've not been up there yet. Thursday evening does not slow down as the band Thrice will perform over at the Best Buy Theater and bring along Animals as Leaders and Oh Brother as the opening acts. Over not far away from the Best Buy is Striper over at B.B. King Blues Club and he will have Tony Harnell, formerly of TNT, as his opening act. For those that feel like traveling down the East Coast over to Maryland, we have the Maryland Death Fest opening up today at Club Sonar. Now, this event will run for four days, so that's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Okay? Um, Too many bands to list, but you can click the link on my Piercing Metal calendar to be brought to uh, the main website so you can see who's playing that uh, that festival. And if uh, if you really want to venture it's it's a great event i'm hearing a lot of my friends go out there every year friday night is the church of misery at the uh, cameo gallery this is a new venue that i'm hearing of uh first time and this is also part of the blackened music series and this is going to bring along the bands our wake and gates of slumber gates of slumber is a really cool doom act so you might want to check that out the um the sons of cream perform at B.B. King Blues Club, and this is uh, Kofi Baker and Malcolm Bruce, along with Godfrey Townsend, and they are going to play a tribute to the incredible power trio that is Cream. Um, That's an early show. starts at 7.30, to my knowledge, uh, because at 10.30, B.B. King's is going to have the ultimate Who tribute band, Who's Next? So... uh, you know, buying one does not get you tickets to the uh, get you access to the other. You'd have to spend twice. But uh, what a cool way to spend your Friday night at BB Kings, right? Two events uh, hanging out over there, so uh, something definitely to check out. Uh, like I said, also Maryland Death Fest will be on Friday down at the Club Sonar in Baltimore, Maryland, and Saturday is Artillery over at St. Vitus Bar, where you and I caught onslaught a few weeks ago. Great bar. Great band making their appearance for the first time in a number of years. And um, this is good. Actually, I think this is the first, I might be wrong, but I think this is the first time Artillery's ever been here in Brooklyn, New York. So uh, that is something to make note of. I don't usually like jumping into Sunday uh, ahead of time because it's next week's call, but I do want to make mention that D. Snyder's performance at BB King's that was scheduled for 527 will. Uh, it has been canceled. The entire tour, to my knowledge, has been uh, has been uh, moved aside uh, for reasons unknown. So uh, D. Snyder is not playing over at BB Kings and uh, anywhere right now. So that's all I got for you. Please remember to follow Piercing Metal on Twitter. We would love you to find us. That is our handle. It's Twitter. It's Piercing Metal. And uh, come down to Facebook page and like our Facebook page, and we will try to keep you in the loop with the scoop of our heavy metal beat from the streets. Take care now. Bye.
Thank you very much, Mr. Ken Pierce, for our weekly concert calendar update. Kenny did something God couldn't do. He added an eighth day to the week over there. All right, Ken, thank you very much. You know what? Let's get on some WASP right now, school days. I'm going to get Rick Fox on the phone, and we're going to have a good interview with Rick. So uh, sit back, enjoy the song, and we'll have Rick on in about five minutes.
All right, you know, my next guest, if you had to read his resume in a red like uh, something off the internet, his uh, resume would feature Microsoft, Yahoo, Google, and all those big companies from Wasp, Steel, Sin, and many more bands mixed to Rick Fox. Rick, how are you today, buddy? I'm great, Mike. How are you? I'm doing good. It's a pleasure to have you on here. Well, it's a pleasure to be on. I want to give a shout-out to all my, my peeps in Brooklyn and Long Island and Manhattan there. That's right. You know, you you were born in Long Island, made your way to Brooklyn as a youth, and uh, out in the sunny coast of L.A. now, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I was born in, actually in Amityville, and, and I wound up growing up in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Ah, uh, Greenpoint. Greenpoint's a, is a real popular area these days. That whole neighborhood is not like it used to be. Yeah, they're uh, celebrating like a, a like a bohemian resurgence or something Definitely. like that. I, I, I was back there and um, a couple of times between 2008 and 2010 after my dad passed away, and I was amazed at how much the neighborhood has changed. Yeah, it, it's incredible. You know, you couldn't give away houses there 25 years ago. Today, they're costing you a million dollars to buy into one. Yeah, they're they're converting a lot of the uh, the industrial lofts into you know living quarters and things like that. So it's you know a real artist's uh, refuge. Without a doubt, and, and speaking of artists, Rick, like I was saying, your resume, the bands you've played in, <laughs> the the groups that you've been a part of, it's just astonishing, like over 30 years, the music you've contributed to this scene, it's just mind-boggling. Thank you, Mike, I, I appreciate that very much, and you know, that, that people would even notice that I've, I mean, you know, some people think I've only been in the music business for like five minutes, but you know, I... I <laughs> You know, a friend of mine said, and I don't mean this in a, in a detriment, in a you know derogatory manner. He goes, "But you're like the you're like the Forrest Gump of rock and roll." He's like, <laughs> "You've been everywhere. You, you know yeah, so yeah, many yeah. people. You know." That's so, true. I guess that's a good way of looking at it. That's pretty funny. So yeah, I mean, if you if you look at it in a positive manner, I mean, not like you know the way Forrest Gump was portrayed in the film, but the fact that I just fate put me in key points in rock history at certain times. So you just you know, connect the dots, you know. Oh, definitely. Well, you know, like you know, you start like you said, you, you know, you're a Brooklyn boy. You started out here in New York, playing, you know, in the scene that we had over here, like CBGBs and Max's Kansas City, and all the clubs here. You moved out to LA in, in the early '80s. How do you see the difference between you know the East Coast and the West Coast? The scenes on both sides. You know, I mean, early '80s LA, I guess, is where it was at for everybody to be at the time. But compared to New York, you know, do you think you you would have stood in New York and, and made something happen if you were still here? That's hard to say because fate has already paved that path, and I can't go backwards and, and undo history. So um, I did play the Jersey circuit a bit. You know, I was with a group called the E-Walker Band, and then after that I, I hooked up with a guitar player who um, – he was one of the guitar players on Mike Varney's U.S. Metal Shrapnel Records series, uh, Dave Ferrara. And we put a band together named after one of his songs on the album. It was called Aggressor, and we were playing the upstate New York and, and – Jersey clubs, you know, and, and uh, like that, you know, Orangeburg Pub and, and places in that area. And uh, that's when I bumped into these guys who were visiting from Los Angeles when I was I was also had a day job in Manhattan. I was working a couple of doors down from Electric Lady. These guys walk in and they're like, whoa, you look like a rock star. And, well, uh, I've taken plugs from people because of my looks. But, it, you know, Angel was a big influence on me, so I was Punky Meadows all day, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and, uh, and they started telling me about these bands in California. So um, I had a, I, uh, I gave them a picture of me that I had in my bag. I said, here, you know, you think you know somebody that would be interested here? Take my picture. And they did. And, and uh, I got contacted not long after that by Blackie Lawless. 
and uh, you know, he starts talking to me about coming out to California, take the take the chance. The the leaf, the tip of the leaf is always sweeter than than back by the stem. You got to go out on the edge and, and take a risk. And so I had a friend that worked at A and M Records, Fernando Courtright, and I was always hang, visiting his office and stuff. And I said, tell me, give me some backstory. Who are these people? Who are the players? And he says, I know who Blackie is. He's he's been part of the scene for a while out there. And and he's and this at that point. Hernando gave me the, the first promo copy. Uh, he made a copy on tape for me of Motley Crue's first album right when it came out, like the original one. So yeah. I knew the whole Motley Crue album before I even left New York. And, and I said, wow, if this is, if this is an estimation of, of what's going on in California, I'm, I'm probably going to enjoy this. So uh, I sent Blackie some promo material. Um, and contrary to rumors uh, that have been floating around out there. I never ever said that I played in Americade, which was a band from Brooklyn. I remember uh, those guys. Right. Uh I a friend of mine who died a few years ago, but he he played in a lot of bands, Walt Woodward the third. Yeah. Uh, Walt was a friend of mine when we were playing the clubs, he was in a band Jersey band called Rachel. So Walt and I hung out a lot and I said, Walt, you want to come out and do this audition for Americade? And he says, Okay. So we went, he got the drum gig, uh Dave Spitz I think got the bass gig. But there's these rumors been floating around saying that, you know, I, I sent uh, a material from Americade to Blackie saying I was the bass player on this. I, that's that's completely fabricated. I don't know where that came from, but uh, be that as it may, I, I Blackie flew me out to Los Angeles and, uh, uh, you know, these, <laughs> I met the guys and, and about a day after we went down to the Randy's rehearsal studio and they showed me the songs, and I'm sitting there. You know, it's, it was a huge rehearsal studio. I'm sitting on one end. They're playing down the other end. And it took me back to my memory of being in the loft watching Kiss rehearse, and this was before Ace was in the band. Wow. There was that that energy, that magic. There was like that thunder and power coming from the band. And I went, wow, this is, this is going to be interesting. So after they showed me the songs, they said, all right, you want to try? And I said, okay. And I got up, and I, they showed me the songs, and, and I played, and... Uh, Next thing I knew, I was in the band, you know. And here we are, decades later, and Blackie still denies that I was ever in the band. I mean, there was witnesses used to come down and watch me rehearse, you know. And um, uh, you know, we did the the demo, one of which the songs you just played was School Days. Yeah. And and you can definitely hear how different my bass was compared to what Blackie did. I was playing a really melodic walking bass. I call this a jazzy swing bass line in there, you know. And and uh, I thought uh, they thought. I guess we all thought that my playing was, was fit the mark because Blackie said you're well, you're in the band you got the gig, so you know we we took photos we did photo sessions Don Atkins Jr. who shot Motley Crue the first Motley Crue pictures uh, we did a photo session with him those pictures are now legendary they're on the internet and uh, the demo is out there so if you've got documentation how can you continue saying he was never in the band so it's kind of making him look you know questionable. Yeah, and, you know, it makes no sense to me because, I mean, when you joined the band, it was probably either Circus Circus or Sister at the time before they took the name Wasp. But, I mean, Wasp has had so many members in that over the years. Why just deny that you were in the band, especially in, in the very beginning like that? I mean, I, I don't get the point of it on his end. It, it makes no oh. sense to me, but maybe because you came up with the name and, you you know, and he just doesn't – and he, he became the bass player. I don't know. I can't figure it out. Yeah, the speculation is that if if – I, I, he credits me with that, then that will automatically discredit everything that he said about me, or lied about, or tried to cover up or censor since then. You know, it's like it's almost like a conspiracy theory. He's saying, no, Rick Fox was never in a band. Rick Fox was never in a band, and yet there were people who saw me rehearsing with the band. I've, we've got photos. If, if if I didn't fit the bill, 
why go through the trouble of taking band photos? True. You know, and then people have said to the black in interviews, what does Wasp mean? And he goes, we sure ain't, we ain't sure, pal. Or, you know, he, he would always evade it real cleverly. But yet, you know, you go to any of Randy Piper's interviews and they say, well, Rick Fox has been running around for years claiming he came up with the name Wasp. What do you say? And he goes, that's absolutely true. He says, I would never take that away from Rick. He, Rick did come up with the name. So now you've got Randy validating it and Blackie denying it, and I've, we've got the pictures and the demo out there. How much more proof does anybody need? True. You see? It's and, amazing. And, uh, like, like in school days, uh, I, I kind of paid homage, if you will. I paid an homage to uh, Dennis Dunaway from, from Alice Cooper because if you listen to the bass line, I'm actually playing a part of the bass line from Muscle of Love which just came to me naturally because that was the feel that I felt when they were playing the song. You know, and then in the in the lead break, I'm actually playing the bass line to to uh, Love Gun. <laughs> so it just it was just came to fit natural and that's what I'm playing in there, you know. Amazing. So, you know, and then we got Master of Disaster, which is also on the demo. Um and that's never been released or played live and those are two songs that are going to be in our new Sin set list. Uh, for the for the fans, because you know, uh, uh, even if rumors are out there about Blackie doing a, an anniversary or reunion thing with, with former Wasp members, it's really unrealistic to expect him to to ask me to come back and do anything with the band. That would just, you know, that would just undo everything. Yeah, it would he kill said, everything so. he's trying to accomplish. <laughs> yeah. So so we got a couple of Wasp songs and a couple of Steeler songs in our set, you know, just for the fans. Oh, that'd be excellent, man. You know, like the Wasp thing is over. That's old news. You move on. What comes next? Yeah. Is it Steeler or Sin? Uh, it, it was Steeler. I, I actually auditioned for Rat. Uh, I auditioned for Greg Leon Invasion. There was a couple other bands, and then um, I did some some small rehearsal rehearsals with uh, Hellion, with Anne Boleyn's band. I was with yeah. them, and then um, uh, Warlord. It's another band. A lot of people don't know. I played I played with. I was played with Warlord for several months. That was some of the most difficult rock material I ever played because it was very very intricate. Uh, um, not quite Getty Lee-ish, but it was you know all minor key dark material, and, and it really gave my fingers a workout. You know, so uh, I, I played with them for a while, but they just never wanted to play out live. So uh, that's not going to work for me. I'm all about playing live. So uh, I left Warlord, and at some point I uh, I put an ad in a local magazine, a Music Connection, and Ron Keel saw the ad and called me, and he said, "Come on down, I want to talk to you." So he gave me a tape and. We talked, and, I, and he liked the fact that I knew Kiss because he was a big Kiss fan. And and, uh, and I learned the songs, and I came back, and he and I went over them, and he liked it. And at that point, Mark Edwards, the drummer, came back from visiting his family in Texas, and then uh, the three of us played. And uh, you know, Mark had some critique of my playing. You know, there are people out there who do that, and but Mark's a really good drummer, and and he, I have to credit him with giving me the time and attention to really work, show me how to to. I never had to do this with cover bands. You know, uh, uh, how to lock in with a drummer and really listen to where the meter is and, and where the front of the beat, where the back of the beat is, you know, and, and, and how to really lock in with a drummer. So, you know, I have to give that credit to Mark. And, and you know, next thing you know, we're auditioning guitar players. And then uh, Ron calls Mike Varney up and says, listen, you know, we need a guitar player from hell. And, you know, then we got Ingve. Uh, we brought Ingve to America. Well, hell, I think hell is the right word. It's <laughs> like playing with Ingve, probably. Uh, I don't know yeah. if he was the same way back then because he was pretty much a kid back uh when the Steeler record came out, he was about seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, he was young. I know he was in Silver Mountain before that for a little while. Yeah, and, and he actually couldn't play on the album while we were recording it because his green card didn't come through yet. And uh, Dee Dee Keel and other people behind the scenes were really busting butt 
with the state, you know, the, the, the department, state department, whatever it is, you know, the, the, to get him his green card so he could legally play on the album. So the album was done, and then his green card came in. Then he had to fly back up to San Francisco, up north, and, and put his tracks down. Uh, okay. Like, the, the Steeler record is a, is a classic record by any means. Uh, it, the band just like, you know, it just didn't take off. I mean, I don't know, did it fall apart on the inside of the band or was it just maybe the scene at the time because we never got anything more after the first record? Well, there's been lots of um, chemistry changes in the band uh, that, that, you know, speak for themselves. I, I can't speak, you know, openly about the politics that may have been going on. Uh, I really don't know what was going on in Ron's mind, and, and I was pretty much in the dark because, uh, you know, I, I, we did the album, we did a whole shitload of gigs, uh, I mean, a lot of gigs, excuse me, and and uh, it was, we were, you know, um, the, the, the response was, was phenomenal. You know, we went from, like, nowhere to, to everybody knew who we were, pretty much. We were getting ready to do, I, I believe, an opening slot for Judas Priest on the West Coast leg of their tour in 83, and then they had management problems, so that fell through. So that would have opened a lot more doors for us, and it probably would have been, you know, video documentation of us, which there isn't. Uh, you know, Steeler just broke up, and then, you know, they, they came to me and said, listen, we're going to just scrap the whole thing, and, and we're going to start over again. And I, I, it was it hit me from the left field. I never saw it coming. Wow. So Ingve uh, left. Uh, he took off to go play with Alcatraz, and... Um, uh, he talked to Phil Moog first from, from UFO. I think I introduced him to Phil Moog from UFO. And then uh, Ingrid passed on that, and he, he went up taking a gig with Alcatraz. And then uh, I left the band. So that's when, while I was still, you know, had a, you know, I was on the map and, and had a name, you know, reputation, at least in the clubs, uh, I, I scrambled to put another band back together. And that's when I put Sin together. Well, that has to be a better thing because you know Sin was your baby from the beginning. It was your you know thing from the get go where you were stepping into other bands that were already established. You know, it kind of like the odd man out sometimes. Sin started out, and but I heard that down the road they wanted to kick you out of your own band. The other members of Sin. Well, here's the fu the funny thing is Sin actually began around 1976 in New Jersey, and uh, it came out of a band called Virgin, which was a you know we were like a, a glam band. We did all of the the popular glam stuff at the time in the clubs, you know, Bowie, Alice Cooper, we had Alice Cooper show with the snake, uh, my singer Ian, you know, he looked like a cross between Alice and Bowie and Basil Stanley, our drummer and like that. And, and we were since started back in 76. So when I was putting together this new band after Steeler and I got these, I hand, I, I want to say handpicked. I, I found all the guys to put together in this. I met a keyboard player and he said, yeah, I'd really like to play with you. He was introduced to me and, 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 um, uh, he said, I'd really like to play with you. And I said, well, I'm a big fan of Angel. And he said, well, so am I. And he looked a little like Greg Jafria. I had set up like Greg Jafria, you know. And, yeah. and he said, let's let's put a band together. And I said, okay. And I said, but it's based, going to be based around me. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm the guy that's got the club draw, you know, here in the band. So, you, you know, this has got to be around my name because I'm the one who's opening the doors to get us in there. He says, fine, no problem. So I wound up getting a drummer from this band. I got a, a guitar player who had never played out. I got a singer who I don't remember even where his background was from, but he sounded like the guy from Crocus. And we rehearsed and rehearsed, and they said, okay, well, what are we going to call ourselves? And nobody could come up with a really good name. And and uh, I said, well, we kind of sound like a cross between Angel and Judas Priest. I said, look, I'm just going to throw this at the wall. Either you guys salute it or you don't. And I said, I'm, I'd like to revive the name Sin that I had from, from New York, New Jersey. 
And they tossed it back and forth, and you know, they said, yeah, you're right. We just really can't come up with a good name. So that's how it became Sin. That was the first, you know, Mach 1 Los Angeles lineup. And, you know, we we, uh, we played to, like, oh, Jesus, everybody was there. Motley Crue, Ingve, uh, you know, David Lee Roth. Anybody who was somebody came to our shows, and I was like, I, I, I had no idea that we were pulling in all these big names until they, they started showing up in the dressing room. Yeah. You know? And and Dave Lee Roth comes in. He's like he's checking out my costume, and I said, "So so Dave, what brings you to our show?" And he goes, "Oh, I heard a lot about you guys. I'm here for the duration, you know." And check it out. <laughs> two, two weeks later, the jump video comes out. What's Dave wearing? He's wearing a copy of my costume. <laughs> he's got the black pants with the, with the Xanax pants with the red shredded material. I said, "Sob, this guy copied my costume." Well, I'm doing something right, you know. So uh, six months down the line, these guys get a, get you know my band. Sin, you know, they, these guys get a real big head about themselves. We're we're playing big shows, yada yada. We're getting a big reputation, and they started to become some internal chemistry and politics. It happens, and uh, I started to see it going in a direction I didn't want it to go in. And I said, listen, I, I have to put my foot down and try and exert a little bit more control in the band. And they said, good luck, um, you know. And and people were being told, watch what happens. We're kicking them out of the band and stealing a name. Watch this, haha. Meanwhile, I already went out and service marked the name, so I had it on the books. So then it became a battle, you know, in Los Angeles. It was the battle over the name, and you know they would try getting around it. And my my attorney Stan Diamond came in. He was from Black Sabbath and other bands, and he represented me. They lost, so they changed it to Jaguar. They did an album, and it went nowhere. Meanwhile, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I remember that Jaguar record too. Yeah. And then uh, I, my old guitar player, uh, J.J. Christie, uh, who I was living with in Jersey for a while, he was out in Long Island playing in a band called Alien. So he called me up and he said, listen, Alien broke up. Uh, I understand you know the guys in Kiss and they're auditioning guitar players. You can get me a slot. I said, they already got a guy, some some unknown guy named Vinnie Vincent. So I said, but I'm reforming Sin. If you'd like, you you want to come out west, this is the time to do it. So he says, well, can I bring the guys from my band? I said, sure. That's what he brought, Frank Starr and, and the other guitar player, Richie, you know, who's, uh, I guess he was a replacement guitar player in Alien. And the three of them came out, and they helped me reform Sin L.A. Mach 2. And that was even bigger and more powerful than, than anything I had together uh, at the time. And, and we were blowing doors off of people. We were just blowing heads off. Fr- Frank Starr is a great singer. I love that Alien record, Cosmic Fantasy. So... That hookup was right. I, Frank passed away a, a while ago. I don't remember exactly when, but uh, some years back. But that must have been a powerhouse lineup and a great, great band to be playing at the time. You know why, Mike? It's it's got to be because uh, four fifths of the band were New Yorkers. Yeah. So you got you got that New York, you know, almost twisted sister attitude, which was unlike any of the other local bands in Los Angeles. We had a different vibe. And and people said, you know why you, we everybody likes you is because you guys are a people's band. You don't try to go over people's heads. You just hit them right between the eyes with heavy metal, and everybody loves you guys. So you know we were like endeared that way uh, as as a people's band. And and with Frank out front, you know there was nothing that could stop us. Yeah, so. Fra- Frank was great, man. It's a shame, you know. I wish more would have came out of that. You know, he's gone now. You can't do, you know. Can't do anything yeah. about it. But I mean, I just like when I when I just look at all the stuff you've played in. I know I'm like I'm rushing through like because we only have like 15 minutes left in the show, and I want to just touch on a little bit of everything you've done. And Rick, I gotta have you back on one time just for the entire show because you okay. deserved like two hours straight. Because 
your history in rock is just so amazing. I mean, the stuff that you've been a part of. And, and then I look at Surgical Steel. I, you hooked up with Surgical Steel. I'm like, this band should have been so much more than it was and so much bigger. I mean, you had Jeff Martin on vocals. I mean, everybody in that band was like, you know, at the top of their game. And I'm like, this band should have really took off. How did the whole Surgical Steel thing come about? Well, what happened was, uh, and i got to correct you a little bit on the Jeff Martin thing, What uh, Jim Keeler was the band leader. He had fired or let go of his whole lineup and was reforming all over, scrapped the whole thing and forming over and contacted me through various people uh, and, and wanted me to come out and, and because they were planning on doing an album. So he, he uh, I flew out to Arizona, and, and I was learning the material, and he's got a guy named Derek Kendall who played with a lot of really big bands, and Derek Kendall was the singer. And Derek's still out there playing and, and whatnot. And then uh, uh, we just, the drummers were not really working out, so he had to get one of his, his former drummers, uh, uh, original drummers, back in the band for the recording session. Uh, Dan Wexler from Icon was producing. And then we brought, um, uh, Mick, Mick Brown from Dokken came in to do one song with us, which was one of the songs I brought in. And Mick and I locked, and, and it was just, it was awesome to play with him. He came out and saw us, you know, live as well, and, and Mick goes, I don't know where these rumors about you and you can't play came from. He goes, you're just as good as Jeff, You're meaning Jeff Pilsen, his bass player. Yeah. He goes, we, we play like, like we locked in like a groove, like we were born together. I said, that's the biggest compliment I ever got. Thank you, you know, from for, for Mick. And, and uh, again, the, the financial backing fell out from the Surgical Steel Project, so we wound up not being able to finish the album. I've put a Facebook page out saying, you know, we w- want to release the, the Surgical Steel album and a reunion tour, and it's gotten some interest, but, you know, Jim's a little reclusive, Jim Keeler, and, and I don't know what his thoughts are on doing a, steel or a Surgical Steel reunion and, and, uh, and releasing the album, but there is interest. You know, now would be the good time. The 80s are big again, you know. Oh, definitely. So, I, I didn't realize Jeff Martin, I know he was on the demo, Jeff. I didn't realize he was out of the band by that time. Uh, yeah. They got involved with them, but you know another another reunion people always talk about is Steeler. I mean, I don't think it'll ever happen with Yngwie. I think that's you know I, I, he's way beyond that. Now he won't even bother. But I think a lot of people, especially the younger kids today, they would love to see you know Steeler get back together. Would there ever be any shot? Because I know Kill's got his own thing going today too. Yeah. Uh, let me answer it this way: uh, the drummer we had, Mark Edwards, had a motocross accident years ago and broke his back, so he can't play anymore. Oh, okay. Although we've been in touch. Loosely here and there, and, and uh, we both regret the way the, the whole breakup went down. Ingve uh, will never get in the same room with us, with Ron and myself. You know, you know, Ingve looked at me like, "When did you just pick up the bass five minutes ago?" So, you know, even though we played really well together in the band, and if you listen on, on uh, YouTube and you hear the live board mixes that people have been uploading, I'm keeping up with him like nobody's business. So the bass and the drums are solid. You know, meanwhile, you got Ingve all over the place. So, you know, you you you'd be the judge of of who's where the anchoring is in the band. But uh, yeah. Ron, and I, Ron and I have talked a, a little bit off and on, and and uh, he's got some some personal conditions that he'd like to have in place. But I'm not at liberty to disclose uh, at this time about how he would like to do it if if he does a Steeler reunion. And and we got a Facebook page for that, and the fans are nuts. They want a Steeler reunion, and they you know. But, uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to do the album, which is what everybody wants. So I, I can only speculate on what Ron is thinking uh, on that. And uh, I would just say, you know, everybody get out there and, and uh, get in touch with Ron Badger and say, come on, Steel Reunion, Steel Reunion. We want to hear that album. You know, there, there you go. 
who never got to hear the band live, just just whatever's on YouTube. So they want to see it live. And you know, Ron asked me, you know, would you be interested in doing a reunion if we ever did? And I said, anytime, anywhere. Just let me know. You know, and and that's when he was putting out the uh, the Steeler Anthology CD album. Yeah, yeah, because that album was hard to find for a long time, and it was almost impossible to find until that came out, the original record, like a lot of stuff from back in the day. I mean, they'd have to go to eBay or Amazon or something to pick it up. But, you know, you never, you can never say never in this business, I guess, because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or who's going to call the funk and ring. It could be anybody. But Sin is like, I guess, the, the, main, the main thing right now. You're putting all your eggs in the basket. You're getting Sin relaunched. You're up in the road. How do you plan on going about this? Are you looking to put something out, uh, you know, on an album with, with, with Sin, or are you going to just start out playing live? Well, uh, we're probably going to start off live. Uh, I got a guitar player who I met, uh, actually, ironically, uh, after a surgical steel show I played out at Rockers in 86. Um, he went on to play in a heavy thrash band called Aloysius Tool, which is one of the major thrash bands out of Arizona and had some you know, nationwide attention. Uh, and then he moved back to California, he took a break, and then they started to play in San Francisco Bay Area with um, bands like Forever's End, you know, stuff like that, you know, whatever the the, the Maiden, Priest, Saxon-type bands. But they, what's really strange is, is Sean, his name is Sean K. Adair. Um, it's kind of weird how uh, this guy was a fan of mine, and he turns up years later to play in the band with me, like a whole full circle thing. It's really strange because I just walked off the stage from the show. I shook his hand, hi, how you doing? And he, I moved on, and, and that he, apparently he said that... Uh, that left a lasting impression with him. He goes, "Wow, what a cool guy!" I, I expected this guy to, be, you know, have his nose up in the air. But, you know, uh, Sean and I became friends over the internet, and he was him and his girl Val were house guests at our our home here in in, in L.A. And uh, he played his material. I played in mine. And he says, "You know, you should put a." It was his idea, actually. He says, "You should put a band back together, and it's just based around you and your material." And he goes, "I'll play whatever you give me." I said, "Wow, where were you like back in the '80s?" You know. <laughs> so. So uh, Sean is right now he's learning the material, and uh, we got the singer Mike Corday, uh, who's Mike Corday Myers. Mike Mike was in Michelangelo, he was in Kid Blast, he was in Native Tongue. He works, he sang with me, you know, for for me in, in Thunderball in '89, and he does occasional work with this guitarist Darren Householder. So you know, once Sean lets me know he's got all the material down, then we'll get together and we'll start working. You know, we're looking at drummers, and once that's together and we have a drummer. Then I'll bring Mike in so he can put his icing on the proverbial cake. Ah, so, uh, that sounds uh, good. I can say that of all the projects that I've ever put together, one thing everyone notices is that every time, every every product I put out has produced some jaw-dropping results. So, in this case, there won't be any difference. I assure you. Well, that's good to know. You know, Rick. You know, a lot of years in this business. You know, what are the good parts of it? What are the bad parts of it? Oh man, you can't, we can't fit all of that in just a few minutes. That's why I'm writing a book. <laughs> it's a loaded question. I know. I'll give you one of each. You know, what do you look forward to the most out of you know just being being a part of the whole music scene? And, and what's the one drag down? Well, let's see. Um, you know, when you get older, you get to be a little bit more introspective, especially those who survived the scene and, and have lived to tell the stories. Um, I just wanted to say that you know there's lots of others who have done way more than I have and deserve a lot more attention than I get, but I just want to extend my gratitude and appreciation to make a you know and make a positive difference in the lives of those who appreciate whatever small contributions that I can leave behind me. So to all those friends and fans, you know that, that that's what that's where the reward is. That you know money is great. It's it's and, and you know if you get enough to pay the bills, that's great too. But 
it's not like it was in the 80s. Nobody's making big money off of that anymore, and everybody's producing their own thing. So uh, when you ask, you know, what's a good part about it, that's a good part. You know, the, the reward that you're giving to other people and they're receiving from you and you're making a difference in their lives, that's a reward that pays for itself in and of itself. So, you know, I mean, there's been plenty of times when, when – you know, interesting stories and good good times and this, that, and the other. There was the time me and Frank Starr got into a huge fight backstage after one of our shows, and it was a bonding moment. You know, I mean, out of out of the lemonade, lemons came lemonade. You know, it was yeah. it was a really funny story. It's, it's going to be in my book, but you know, good good times like that. You know, and and uh, bad the bad stuff. Well, that that'll you know it'll be in the book too. Whatever I can I can mention about. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be some shocking, eye-opening stuff in there. You know, those that kind of those kind of books, you know, that kind of material sells a lot of, you know, a lot to people. They're really interested in knowing what dirt is. So I've got my share, and I'm going to put it in the book. So there's just so much of it. I, I can't really nail it all down, you know, for you in just a, a couple of minutes. You know. Yeah, it's impossible. And uh, but that book is going to make a good read. I can tell you that. Yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, I, I did want to I did want to say that I was glad that you gave me the opportunity to be on your show so I could reach my New York peeps. You know, for some re unknown reason, Eddie Trunk just won't respond to people asking him why he won't have me on his show. So maybe after my book comes out, his people will call my people. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, you got to be in Eddie Trunk's inner circle. There's only about four or five bands that he that he focuses his attention on, and he forgets about everybody else in the scene. But that's what I'm here for. And Rick, I only yeah. got five minutes left in the show, man. So I really do appreciate you taking out the time to talk to me today. We need hours. So when the book comes out, come back on. The whole show is yours. And we could talk nonstop about everything. I don't have to like kind of rush through your whole career in 40 minutes, which isn't possible to do. Yeah. Can I can I plug a couple of things real quick? Absolutely. Go right ahead. Okay. I want to give a shout out to all my Wing Hussar fans in Poland and in Europe, and also to Mike Silcox for all his promotional support and Facebook. Uh, actually, I want to thank everyone who's been so generous and thoughtful in requesting interviews on me. Um, I got my hands on some Steeler rehearsal tapes that I didn't know I had that. Uh, we'll see where that's going to go. I'm going to leave that little carrot dangling for all the fans. Uh, it's just, you know, us with Ingve rehearsing. So uh, nice. it's live stuff uh, that no one's ever heard before. Um, I also wanted to throw the plug out for Darren Upton's Wasp book, Sting in the Tail, and, and my appreciation of Darren for uh, interviewing me for the Wasp book and all the fans that he's brought out of the, out of the background. Uh, Charlie Schroeder has a book coming out uh, next week on the 24th called Man of War. Uh, myself and our reenactment group is going to be featured in there. And uh, coming up in August, Ken Sharp has a book coming out about KISS. It's called Nothing to Lose. It's KISS, the early years. And some of my exclusive photos are going to be in there and some of my anecdotes. And, and Ken interviewed me for his book. So I wanted wow. to let everybody know that to look for those. Rick, that sounds like you got a lot going on there. You know what? I have a live steal of bootleg from 411-1983 from the old Waldorf. Oh, do you really? Yeah, I have it on cassette. So this week I'll transfer it and I will email you uh, – uh, copy of it, so you can go through that. It's probably pretty good quality to take because it looks like it's in good shape. It hasn't disintegrated cool. yet. Thank you, so, Mike. That's cool. I've been look. I heard there was something out there, but nobody could find it. Oh, you of all people. This is yeah. That would be great if you can get me that. I'd love to hear it. I've had that in my collection since 1983, you, so I will mail it out to you. Do you have the live show that we did when we opened for Quiet Riot at Perkins Palace? No, that's the only one I have. But I used to trade with a lot of people, and I will ask them if they have anything else. And uh, and whatever I can dig up, I will get to you. But that one, I know I can get to you probably, you know, this week. Yeah, the the live show we did when we opened for Quiet Right at Perkins Palace is out there. Somebody bootlegged it. It was released as like an LP in Japan. Uh, I, I think it's somebody might have it on on CD somewhere. 
it's out there, and the quality is really good. We, we kicked uh, ass that night. I got to look for that one. This is an audience recording. Somebody recorded it on, you know, on the roll cassette thing back in the day. But yeah, it yeah. actually sounds pretty good. I will get you a copy of it, Rick. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm going to play some sin, and we're going to close out today's show. So, hey, Rick, thanks a lot, man. I really do appreciate you taking the time out today to talk to me. Thank you very much, Mike. And, and again, you know, uh, rock on out there. You know, shout out to everybody in New York, my hometown. And uh, I hope if we get the point, you know, the, the, the opportunity to come out and play play for New York, that everybody shows up and shows their support. I want to thank everybody in advance for, for all their support and everything they've done to, to keep me out there. Uh, man, I'll be right there for you, Rick. Don't worry about it. Thank you, Mike. All right, take care, Rick. Thank you very much. All right, take care, too. Bye-bye. All right, Mr. Rick Fox from Steel of Wild Sin. So many other bands. I want to thank Carol from Here Evil, the Women's Metal Network, for giving me a little plug on her site yesterday. Thank you very much, Carol. I appreciate that. And once again, happy birthday to Strad and my buddy, the outlaw Ryan Harmon from Warrior Rock Radio. I just heard on the on the news a little while ago that Robin Gibb passed away. So uh, my condolences to, to the Gibb family. That's the second brother that they lost over the last couple of years. And as a colon cancer survivor myself, I know what he was going through. And it's a shame that we lost a bunch of great musicians, the Bee Gees. People could talk about the disc days all you want, but they started out as a great rock band in the 60s. And they're some of the most talented musicians out there. So my condolences to the family. But right now, how about we get on some synth for you? And you know what? If I have a minute or two left after the song is over, I'll try to squeeze something else in if I can. But here's Break Down the Walls. <laughs>
All right, a little after show bonus for you over there with the Scorpions, another piece of meat. I didn't get to play a lot of music tonight because we had a lot of guests on. I want to thank all of my guests tonight. Kevin Wynn from Tyson Dog, Bobby Blitz from Overkill, and Rick Fox from Sin, Steeler, and Wasp. Had a great time talking to those guys tonight. It kind of sucks when you do a two-hour show and you got so many great guests on, and you kind of just want to talk to them and get them all in, but that's life. Take care, everybody. Good night. I'm going to close things up.
by a blade. Live life at speed. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I will see you Thursday for the Metal Matinee at 1 p.m. Take care until then. Good night, everybody.